Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. In this episode, we will share two unique stories of two different families, Elsa and Ian Lane in North Africa and Joseph and his family in Southeast Asia. In the following story of Elsa and Ian Lane, they will share with us the experience in the Maghrib project in North Africa. Here is their story of how they came to the decision to serve God's people in North Africa. Because of our donations, we started receiving the Frontiers magazine. I read the magazine from cover to cover every month and eagerly waited for the next one to come. Before long, a question started ringing in my head. Why aren't we overseas doing this? The question became louder and more persistent. After much prayer and heart searching, we contacted Adventist Frontier Missions and began the process of becoming career missionaries. Between 2018 and 2019, we finished our fundraising and enjoyed a a wonderful summer of mission training before we launched in January of 2020. We have not regretted that choice, and we rejoice in the Lord's leading. The longer we are here, the more we realize just how great the need for dedicated workers willing to invest their all is, and we are just so thankful for how the Lord has brought us to this point. In a certain time of every year, the people of Maghrib celebrate a unique festival ritual. That is such a strange sound to hear in the city, I mused as I bustled about the kitchen. There it is again. I listened sadly as the mournful bleeding of a sheep drifted up from the apartment terrace below us. Cringing, I closed the window. Still hearing the muffled bleeding, I scurried out of the kitchen. I tried to distract myself, but the bleeding drifted in from apartments surrounding ours on all sides. Out another window, I heard more sheep calling out from apartment decks, terraces, and parking garages all across the bustling 1.4 million strong city. My mind drifted back to just a few days before on that trip with our landlord to his village. I listened as he shared childhood memories with Ian of growing up in a mountain village. When I was a child, the villagers were not allowed to go to school past high school. The government was afraid if we got a higher education, we would revolt. He explained that his father's military connections had given him the chance to get out of the village to continue his education. Back then, my village would get several feet of snow every winter. We only had our wood fires and heavy blankets to keep us warm. He reminisced about moving to the big city and boarding away from home to attend a better high school. How he had joined the military and had a successful career, and now he's enjoying retirement. They chatted back and forth until suddenly he slammed on the brakes barely missing the villagers scurrying across the road. The car lurched forward and stopped. We watched as two men wrestled a large ram across the street, dragging it by the horns. There were large herds of sheep, 
shepherds, vehicles, and hundreds of people milling about the street. It was market day, and today was extra busy, as every family was purchasing sheep for the most important religious festival of the Muslim year, the Sheep Sacrifice Festival. The villagers jostled and shoved each other, anxious to get the perfect sheep. Some were looking for two because their family was so large. Others could not afford the inflated sheep prices and had to settle for goats or even chickens. We slowly drove through the crowded streets. I watched villagers loading sheep onto truck beds, the back of three-wheeled motorcycles, small vans, and even the back seats of small cars. Ian turned to our landlord. We have been hearing about this festival. What does it mean? This is the biggest festival of the entire year. We get together with our families, sacrifice sheep, and eat sheep meat all day long. We exchange gifts, almost like your Christmas celebration. It is a wonderful time of year. Why do you sacrifice the sheep? Ian had asked. Our landlord smiled. He was pleased that we were asking questions about his religion. He eagerly responded, "We sacrifice sheep to celebrate Abraham's obedience to God by being willing to offer Ishmael on the altar." But just as Abraham was about to sacrifice Ishmael, God whisked Ishmael off the altar and a ram appeared in his place. I listened intently, wanting to understand more of the Islamic beliefs. Though I hear it often, it is still strange to hear people say that Ishmael was the child Abraham was told to sacrifice. Others have told us it had to be Ishmael because he was Abraham's oldest son. So what does the sacrifice mean for you? Ian queried. The sacrifice does not mean anything to me. It is just how we remember Abraham's obedience. Our landlord replied without hesitation. I shook my head. thinking to myself no meaning millions of people spend weeks cooking and baking for this festival many spend one fifth of their monthly income some much more than that to purchase one of the 2.6 million plus sheep that have been carefully prepared all year just for this time they then slaughter the sheep to make special dishes only eaten during this festival but it means nothing a meaningless sacrifice Ian thought quietly for a few minutes, then said, "We celebrate the sacrifice of Christ for our sins as the Lamb of God, but we do not sacrifice sheep." Our landlord nodded his head. Once, when I visited the United States, a friend took me to a play about Jesus's life. It showed how he was killed and died. I told my friend that the play was an impressive production. He paused and shook his head, but the theme of the play was horrendous. The idea that God would allow himself to be humiliated and killed by humans is impossible. It is repulsive to think about God becoming human and then murdered by humans, he said, disgusted. Sadness filled my heart as we continued our drive. The one sacrifice that meant everything to everyone. This man looked upon with disbelief and disgust. The sheep's sad bleeding brought me back to the present. I shook my head as deep sadness overwhelmed me once again. Tomorrow there would be no more bleeding. People would turn sidewalks, vacant lots, doorways and parking garages into places of slaughter. 
bloody sheepskins would be heaped at every dumpster throughout the city. The Maghreb people would celebrate an old story about one man who once obeyed God, and to most there would be no personal significance whatsoever. Our landlord's words of the repulsive sacrifice of Christ still haunt me. We long for our Maghreb friends to have a personal realization of the truth that what they now consider the repulsive foolishness of God is evidence of the love they have always longed for. Won't you pray with us that they will have a personal experience with the Father through His Son, the sacrificial Lamb of God, the only sacrifice that means anything? Have you ever experienced a time where you prayed for a friend, family member or someone else you care about to be healed of a fatal illness? But then after a while that person died anyway. Joseph Inara, a former missionary in the Taikadai project in Southeast Asia, will share just such a moment when he experienced an unanswered prayer for a friend that had a fatal illness. One Sunday evening, I got a phone call. It was from a city about 360 kilometers away. The man said, please pray for someone who has a fever. It was a young pastor that we know. Sure we will, I answered. I sent SMS text messages to our team members to join us in prayer. We was about 50 years old and had had a fever for about a week. In addition, she struggled with many other serious health-related issues. We prayed often that if this was God's will, that he would heal her. The next day, I texted Tor, the young pastor, to find out how we was doing. He called me back and said that he'd just come back from finishing her funeral. I didn't know what to say. Why did God not answer our prayers? But Tor continued to say that, although it sounds strange, the family has seen how we care about them and is interested in the gospel. He invited us, saying, When you come again to our city, I'll bring you to visit them. God knew what was best, and God had opened the way to their hearts, even through this apparent tragedy. We look forward to visiting Wee's family the next time we have the opportunity to travel there. Joseph and his family launched to the mission field and began frontline work with the Taikadai people. They supported an English school that opened in 2006. Pastor Tor is a young man who had the opportunity to attend our English school very soon after it had opened many years ago. He had even worked as one of our security guards so he would have enough money to pay his own tuition. He grew up in an animist family who used to live high up in the high mountains. They were subsistence farmers and they struggled to grow enough rice on the steep mountainsides for their whole family. When Tor was still young, they had moved closer to the city in search of a better living and easier employment. Though at times it was difficult and they thought often of returning to the mountains, they persevered. His family has now managed to have a successful business and live quite comfortably. As a young man, Tor entered the local college in the small city where he lived, and it happened that one of his friends had learned about Christianity and shared his new found faith with Tor. 
but Tor was resistant. However, his friend persuaded him to go to the large city to continue his studies. As he arrived in the large city, his friend brought him to stay temporarily at the home of an Adventist pastor. There he learned about God and the plan of salvation. Shortly after, he committed his heart wholly to God. After relating his decision to his friend, his friend was very glad and he said, I've been praying for you for three months that you would become a Christian. Tor's newfound faith led him to the Adventist church. There he was encouraged to come and study at our English school. For a couple of years he studied and worked there. It was tough, he told us. Sometimes he wanted to return to his home where life would be easier. But his desire to follow God led him to search for a way to become a minister. It happened that an organization sponsored him to go overseas to one of our Adventist universities. There he received an excellent education on the doctrines and on the gospel. Now when he returned to his country, he was getting older and he was still unmarried, but he had returned to his home country to serve God. He preached the word of God with an understanding and a zeal that surpasses many of his peers. After serving for a short time in the large city, he married a nice young lady. Together they moved to his home city, where they continued to zealously strengthen the few believing families and adding new believers to their numbers. We had opportunity to take a trip to Pastor Tor's home city. It took about nine hours to drive the 360 kilometers on twisty mountainous roads. While we were there, Pastor Tor took us to visit many of the believers' homes. We prayed in every home we visited and encouraged them to keep strong in their faith. Many of them faced poverty, sickness, and unemployment, as well as pregnancy difficulties. We were making plans to help them grow spiritually and ease their temporal needs. New believers are being baptized every year as a direct result of our school's influence. The impact of the Taikadai is hard to estimate, but we'll know the full result in heaven someday.